Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival in Austin. Uh, season 4, which was this year, first weekend in June 2015. We had so much fun at ATX this year. It was bigger and better than it ever was. I don't know why you're not coming next year. Go to ATXFestival.com and get your badge for next year. Don't wait to find out who's going to be there, because if you wait to find out who's going to be there, you're going to miss an opportunity to get your badge. Go to ATXFestival.com. Season 2 begins on July 16th, and now I'd like to introduce our panel, starting with our outstanding cast. We have a new cast member, series regular. She wasn't in tonight's episode. She joins the season. In Episode 3, please welcome Sarah Burns. He plays AJ. Please welcome Brett Gelman. And our stars, Russ and Lena, please welcome Nat Faxon and Judy Greer. He is the creator, executive producer, writer, and showrunner. Please welcome Andrew Gerland. And our moderator tonight is a writer in his own right. He's written for Super Ninjas on Nickelodeon and also Supernatural on the CW. He is the creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Please welcome Ben Blacker. Thank you, John. Keep clapping for John Salter. Yeah, yeah. Do it loudly. Hi, you guys. This is a funny show. Oh, Thank you. Nice one. You. You're doing it. Yeah. Um, how many of you on this panel are married? Not to each other, to other people. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> in a way. Not legally, but, you know, six years. That counts. That totally yeah. counts. Sarah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. Oh, <laughs> it's I, not I, just a piece of paper. It's a state of mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was married and I'm no longer Thank you for bringing it up Happy Friday <laughs> You may answer this question as well okay. uh, Starting here with Andrew uh, yes. how, how does the marriage In Married Reflect your own marriage uh, Well my wife is here In the audience Should we ask her to leave? I should be careful how much I am honest about that question <laughs> Fair enough that explains a lot. I look forward to that episode. <laughs> Nat. Uh, it, it, it's surreal how much it represents my marriage uh, in ways that sometimes I'm not totally comfortable with. But it does feel a bit cathartic to sort of uh, deal with all the issues in my marriage on camera. And so that the world can then judge me and my life. marriage. <laughs> And my life. Uh, no, it's, it's very eerily similar to my life. It Do, tru- truly is. Have you had conversations to, uh, similar to the ones that we've seen you have on the show? Yes. I had the exact conversation with Lube with my... No, I did not have that conversation. <laughs> Maybe not uh, this episode. No, but yes, I, uh, strangely enough, uh, and this feels like a setup, but yesterday I had 
we were shooting in L.A., and uh, I was talking to my wife, and she was telling me how our kids were just being a total pain in the ass and, um, and really difficult and challenging, and she was tapped out, and they were, you know, just disrespectful. And, uh, and then I said, I'm sorry, I'm getting called there, you know, to set. They're needing me. And then I walked into a scene <laughs> where I talked to my fake daughter about how I'm never around and that she needs to get her shit together because uh, I am working too much. And it's so sometimes it's scarily, you know, uh, can you say scarily? Yeah. yeah. You can. It's a thing, in, right? In Texas, Judy you can. In Texas, you can. Okay. Uh, yes, it's eerily similar to my it's real life. Very yeah. funny. Uh, Judy, what about you? No, it's nothing like my marriage. <laughs> But I don't have little kids, and I've only been married a couple of years, and my husband's helpful <laughs> um, when I need him to be, and... <laughs> Judy's still, Judy's still in the honeymoon period of her. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So much so that when the prop people litter our house with, like, crap and toys and food, Judy's like, no, 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 this would not happen in my house. And I'm like, oh, no, it would happen. Oh, it would happen. Yeah, Dirty it up. Dirty it up. When you guys watch this season and you look at the set, like, notice what a mess our house is. And it drives me crazy. And... I'm always like, no, don't put any more crap around on the floor. And both Nat and and Andrew are like, no, no, that's that's what our houses look like. <laughs> you you lose control over your space, and and that's a big issue uh-huh. with the show. Is you know, uh, one of the inspirations is to be able to hold on to whatever piece of your own identity that you can, even after you're in a long-term marriage and you have children, and what kind of pieces you can hold on to who you used to be while still being married and in a family. Uh, I want to I talk about that, um, but I want to finish answering this question. But uh, No, I think uh, that's very interesting to me, and I want to dig a little deeper on it. No, you brought it up too soon. <laughs> we had a plan. Yeah, we had a plan. <laughs> um, but let me ask you this, Judy, just by way of follow-up. Are you still too happily married to see this as something that may happen? <laughs> No. <laughs> Fair enough. It's starting a little bit. <laughs> Judy starting. oftentimes touches me on the show, and Andrew and I both are like, you don't, you don't do that. That's not... No. I Apparently, always touch my husband like, now. You haven't been married that long. In 10 years, I'm never going to touch my husband again? <laughs> like, is that... No, just not affectionately. <laughs> yeah. You'll be making a fist. <laughs> uh, what about and you, Brett? <laughs> um... I feel that, uh, well, I don't have kids. We don't have kids. But uh, I think the, I really love, I relate to the aggressive honesty between Russ and Lena. And I think that's one of the things that keeps them going. I don't think that that's uh, a cynical thing or two people mistreating each other. I think that's pe- two people who deeply trust each other a lot. So... And I don't really look at it as a cynical portrait of marriage or relationships. I look at it as a very positive one. You know, that two people can be fully who they are for as long as they've been together and still really be there for each other. So, yeah, I like and that I a think lot. There's also so much comedy in that emotional honesty. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's where, I mean, I, one of the things that I love about the show so much is that all, all of the comedy comes out of that emotional honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah. Yes. What went wrong? Oh, well, um, I started kidding. focusing more on my hip-hop career. I was working on my brand, and sure. like, it got in the way of me being a present human being in my relationship, and things fell apart. But uh, my fragrance is coming out in 2017, and um, it's pretty tight, and so if everybody could just step up to CVS and buy it, I'd be, I'd be okay, because I'm, I'm alone. <laughs> When, uh, when does your character start to appear on this show in this season? Um, I think by and the second. Her name is Abby, and she, um, <laughs> she's also a winner. And um, she, uh, no, I'm fine, guys. It's cool. Um, <laughs> I have cats. But, and I cook. But, um, this is the um, point where we leave and there's just a spotlight on you. <laughs> it's going to be my one-woman show where I'm like, this and that's when I knew I was alone. And the lights change. But, this um, is actually an intervention. <laughs> and you I can't was, see, but you know all of these people. And they all flew here. What, a great, what a great Q&A. And family. <laughs> Until that actress had a nervous breakdown on stage. <laughs> We have your ex-husband on the line. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Uh, having a great time, baby. What are you up to? Yeah, goodbye. Just wanted to uh, remind you we're divorced. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Andrew. How did, the, how did the development of this show go? You know, I had um, uh, done another sh- uh, pilot for Showtime, and when um, it didn't get picked up, I took it very personally. I went to a dark place, and I projected all my own unhappiness onto my wife and our marriage, and <laughs> it was not cool. Uh, and we started, I started reevaluating everything in my life. I started counting how many more times I was going to have sex before I die. And the numbers did not look good. Uh, and I just was like, I should start to explore some of this, some of this like anxiety about, okay, how much time do we have left? How much intimacy do we have left? What can we still fight for in the face of like work and kids and being sick of each other? Did making this show help? It did. It did. So much so. At first, my wife was like, I really don't want you, you know, I don't want you talking about this. I don't want you exploring this every day. And now she works on the show. <laughs> yeah. So we get to see each other every day. It's great. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you, and then I will kind of open this up to you guys as well. Uh, in creating these characters, how do you make them not just stand-ins for you and your wife and for people you know? How do you make them characters who are not you? And, and likewise, as you guys approach these characters, how, how does the collaboration start to happen? That's for me? You first. Okay. Uh, well, it was very easy with Nat. I mean, the second, uh, you know, I met, the first time I met Nat, we had a cup of coffee and we had obviously so much in common. Uh, but I started adjusting the pilot script for who Nat is and just what made me laugh about him. And, oh, and, then, and what was that? How was that different from what you had on the page? Stupidity. I would, say, I would say I'm more of an asshole, and Nat is more of an idiot. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> A fine distinction. I'd say that that's very true. That's very true. I 
you second that. Fail upwards, no guys. Fail upwards. A hundred percent. They're coming out with a spinoff. It's called Asshole and Idiot. But... And my fragrance will actually be featured prominently in that first episode, so if we can all just log in, that'd be great. Thanks, uh, Judy. What was what was your part when you first saw the script? And I will ask both of you how that started to change once you became that character. Uh, well, I don't feel like my character changed a ton, did it? Uh, I, I, I it, it did quite a bit. I uh, between. <laughs> No, because I didn't really know Judy that well. What or really, panel is this? I didn't know Judy at all uh, while we were writing the first episodes, and I got to know her over the shooting of the first season. And um, after the season, we started hanging out, and that was really helpful. I was able to bring that into the writer's room mm-hmm. and just, just getting to know her and some of the ways in which Judy spins is different than the way my wife spins, and I was able to kind of work that into the writing. Right. Yes. <laughs> And uh, I feel like this part was written for Brett Gelman. Is that the case? Or, or you know, did you become this part? Um, well, I, unfortunately, uh, I relate to a lot of <laughs> things about H.A. Do uh, you? Like, seriously, like what? Um, well, I, you know, I... I, you know, he's somebody who likes to take things to the utmost extreme, and I think uh, that I, you know, I tend to do that sometimes in my own life. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm just, you know, I think he's really hot, and uh, <laughs> I'm a really hot guy. So, just you know, when he walks down the street, people are like, "Whoa." <laughs> Check him out, man. That's what happens to me, you know. Uh, no, he's somebody who really likes. You know, I, I. There are people who let things roll off their back in life. Uh, you know, both me and my character are not one of those people. I like to grab it and uh, you know roll around with it on the floor, then punch it in the face, and then say I'm sorry, and then. Let Don't forget pun- about well, the apology. Yeah, answer. let it punch That's me. Fucked up. That's fucked yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing I'll say about the character and Brett is some people can recognize they have a feeling, and this feeling is going to go away. <laughs> and I should probably not explore it because it's not helpful. Neither Brett nor AJ are like that. <laughs> but I fully believe in the, in the benefits of exploring the feeling. I don't regret it at all. It's made me the man I am today, and I'm very proud of myself for being here. You know, it's great. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're lucky to have you. Thanks. No, uh, it's really amazing. I mean, obviously, uh, thank God I'm not like that, but uh, and no matter what Andrew says, everybody was joking. Anything that was uh, any likeness to me, uh, to this character, is a complete joke. Uh, don't take it for face value, okay? Guys? I see some people texting in the back. You know, I, hope, I hope you're not tweeting that Brett Gelman is, is a difficult person. Uh, um, no, but, uh, you know, uh, I feel I relate to every character on the show. I think that every character really has some deep human qualities and uh, that you, you don't want to admit that you have. You know, um, and 
Yeah, I don't know. It, though a lot of the times too, like we're all we're all we've all become really good friends, so we're hanging out mm-hmm. and things get blurred. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the chemistry is apparent. I mean, the fact that whether or not you all like each other, certainly you all enjoy working together. Um, it, it, you, all of you here and, and the people who are not here who are on the show are all highly skilled performers and comedy performers and improvisers as well. Uh, I'm sure you are asked this a lot, but is there improvisation in the show? How much is script? How much is discovered on set? Uh, I'll let you guys answer that. It's all improv, all our words. Sorry, Nothing's written down, no. <laughs> We just it's show up scripted. and people give us a scarf and then we play with it for a while and then the dialogue comes out. It's quite nice. Uh, it's mostly scripted. Uh, we, we, yeah. we shoot these episodes very quickly. They're in four days. We're all on practical location, so we're running around all the time. So we don't have as much time to improvise there's as no we would bathroom. like. There's no bathroom. Yeah. Often, there's nowhere to go to the bathroom. Do you have some <laughs> demands for season three? That's it. That's it. The that's bathroom. I'd like, f- I'd I like would... food that didn't make me I... shit blood. <laughs> I don't know. It's I don't even care about that. Well, I one, Brett, I've known Brett for years, and he out. was always shitting blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that was you a positive prove. blood. This <laughs> is a very dark, negative... Uh, and, and it was after a one-night stand that we had. Sure. <laughs> of me and you. AJ and Brett are so much alike. As I said, part. yes, exactly. A positive blood. That's how blood. Brett got the part. <laughs> That's one the of the good, ways. It was the good blood. That's one of the ways you're so like your character. Yeah, I sleep with people for roles. Doesn't matter. And I enjoy it. Huh? What do you think about that? <laughs> Tweet it. <laughs> Tweet it. Brett Gelman. Brett Gelman loves the casting couch. Can't get enough of it. Brett Gelman, shit, divorce, Sarah Burns, divorce, fragrance. <laughs> 2016, guys. Dark blood. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> God, aren't we a lot of fun guys? Come on. Aren't we a blast? <laughs> what, uh, what did you guys discover as writers and as actors in season one that... Uh, you wanted to do more of for season two. How is season two different? Um, well, there was such a rush to get season one off the ground. I mean, from the time the show got ordered uh, for a series, we had six weeks to get it up and running. So I don't remember <laughs> any of it and why we decided to do anything. You know, so it just went so fast. Um, but I know that in season two... We wanted to do more parenting stories. We wanted to do stories about how the way your parents treated you affects how you are as a parent. Um, I mean, those were some of the things I remember. Yeah, I think also in the season, I think there are more episodes probably where the two of us are on the same team uh, grappling with certain issues or situations, whereas maybe in season one we were more at odds with what was, you know, happening uh, so I, I think there's probably more, more of that. Um, yeah, I feel like I had a lot more scenes with you this year. More, <laughs> more scenes in bed, you mean? Ew. But yes. <laughs> but when, fighting in bed. What did you say? I felt like I had more scenes with Matt in bed. If you know this what I mean. This is a lot of full frontal nudity this season. There is no Super full hot. frontal. Super well, dick. Matt takes his shirt off. I do take my shirt off. But only because that one t-shirt was so ugly, I wouldn't let him wear it. And so then he had to be topless. And you're welcome, And I wear a nipple. (laughs) 
He's Judy, got a surfer body, ladies. Judy wore nipple covers a lot, and so in solidarity, I also wear nipple covers. We're all wearing nipple covers tonight because it's Friday. It's Austin. <laughs> we, yeah, we read that. Keep it, we're keeping it weird, do. right? That's what we got to do here. Uh, I'm sober and celibate, the, the character, and uh, <laughs> and. And then we uh, fall for each other. We have a, like, a romantic thing that's uh, a lot of fun. Right? I love it. Because yeah. last season I wasn't on the show, and this season I'm on it. So I'm like, hey. Right. There's a lot more yeah. for you to do this season. Yeah, Sarah, to, Sarah's much better yeah. this year. I know. I used to just show up, and they would like put me through hair and makeup, and then I'd like hang out, and then I'd like, eat a bunch of granola bars, and then they'd be like, you're wrapped. And I'd be like... Peace. And so now yeah. I'm actually showing Guys, up. Guys, acting is easy. It's yeah. super cool. So easy. Just like, you know, eat some chili ship, <laughs> say some lines, you know? All uh, in a day's work. Is that going to be yeah, the motto but, for this um, year's season? But yeah. it's fun because uh, for me, because I'm, AJ still does all this crazy stuff, and it's, you realize it's not because of drugs and alcohol. It's just that he's, <laughs> you know, extreme. Do you guys have questions? Let's get some questions from you all. Uh, the, the question, as I understand it, is how important was it to incorporate personal experience into the show? And, you know, I, for me, for anything that I write, I'm always trying to take something that's real for my experience or somebody that I know or something that I felt. So it was really important to me. And I feel like all the actors are always drawing on that, whether it's from the material or their own experience. I think it's important to all of us. I'm usually cast in action movies and stuff, so Total I wanted to stretch, and that's... You mean as, like, the guy taking the coffee order in the yeah. beginning of yeah. the movie? Uh-huh. That's cut out of the movie. Yeah. yeah. No, that's me. No, I would say that it's, it was very helpful to have that experience, uh, not necessarily a, a requirement for the part, but certainly a benefit in, in having a personal life that sort of matches up with what you're doing creatively. Uh, for Judy, it's just easier. Right? Because that means you don't have to... I don't have to do any preparation. Do <laughs> I don't have to work that hard. Uh, let us wrap up now, uh, starting here with Andrew and then going down the line, giving Sarah the last word. Um, what are you watching on television these days? What are you excited about or inspired about or talking to your wife about or your writer's room about? Uh, I'm really into Amy Schumer right now. I just saw the last episode, and there are a couple of sketches that killed me. Um, trying to think what else. I mean, I watch Game of Thrones right away all the time. Michelle, what else do we watch? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Brett was on the season finale of Mad Men. Yeah. It was incredible. Right? Uh, those are the ones that come to mind. Those are good answers. Now, uh, mostly my reel. I, sure. Um, you know, just to see the range and stuff, the action movies and stuff that I do. Uh, no, I, I watch a lot of sports on TV. Um, aside from sports, I, I also watch Game of Thrones, uh, mostly just for the nudity. And... Um, and I watch everything on FX because they let things go for so many seasons and seasons and seasons. <laughs> seasons it's, it's worth the investment. Thank yeah. you, John. You said it. I didn't. So I'm keeping you to that. It's binding. If you say it at ATX, it's binding. 
Um, I followed Mad Men, so I watched that. It was like the first series I ever watched um, completely till the end. <laughs> um, I love uh, I love Louis. I love um, Archer. I know I'm on it, but I really love watching it. It's really funny, and um, and I'm excited about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I like. Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I got nervous. That wasn't the name of it for a second. I, I had like a full senior moment. Like, what if that's not? But I think it's really. You got funny. it. You got I it. love Joe Latrulio. <laughs> he is the greatest. Sure. Um, Brett. I watch uh, old episodes of the Rockford Files, and I I have uh, I print out the scripts, and I say James Garner's lines along with him. <laughs> uh, I love everything everybody's. Uh, Mentioned, uh, I really, but I really, really love uh, Getting On. I think it's an incredible ah, show. Uh, and uh, what? Yeah, he was oh yeah, he, that he didn't say it. Um, yeah, I love that show, and I love the comeback too. Is I thought it was just oh, amazing. And uh, yeah, those are correct answers. Um, I, I'm like the only person who hasn't watched Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones. Which is dumb. I but haven't watched either. Okay, let's do it like a thing because okay. I, I'm like the person. I know. Who I never. Get it. I know. I think. I mean, there's death. The I saw world. an episode where a guy got half of his head blown up. Well, I stopped watching Game of Thrones because they were in like kill these wolves, and I was like, ah. Oh. And then I just like checked out, and everyone's like, they don't kill the wolves, and I was like, ah. And so, so they I'm don't. Going, I'm gonna go back, but I, I love, I love Louis. Like the last season I watched, I was just like. God, this guy is amazing. His head blows up in so many ways that, like, I want my head to blow up. If that is a thing, I don't know. It's a cerebral <laughs> thing I'm saying right now. I'm working it out. But um, I'm really looking forward to Sex, drugs and, drugs, and Rock and Roll because Rescue Me was so good, and I, like, consumed it. And so I'm very excited about watching that. And um, I love Transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, like, my God, I forgot that. Oh, I just loved it so much. And then Two and a Half Men, you know, very, very cerebral. <laughs> just kidding. What did you no. say? I also, I love, I get my, I get my Shonda on every Thursday, I got to admit it. I do, I do. Yeah. I, love a good fucking, I love a good Joe Morton monologue. Like, you are a boy. Let me tell you something. I, I make the decisions that keep this little world that you think you live on rolling round. And if you lose me, you lose the very notion of your own sanity. So yes, pull the trigger, boy. Andrew Gerland, the cast of Married. Be sure to watch it on FX. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you all for being here. panel and ask questions about last season and the coming season, we have the highly respected and well-regarded journalist and reporter from The Hollywood Reporter. Please welcome Leslie Goldberg. How about that finale, huh? 
Since its premiere last summer, You're the Worst has become one of the most critically praised new series on television. The offbeat comedy centers on Jimmy and Gretchen, a British novelist and a cynical publicist who find happiness in each other's awfulness. Uh, Jimmy and Gretchen have been described as one of TV's most watchable courtships, with their equally misbehaving best friends, Edgar and Lindsay, creating a dynamic that's as delightful as breakfast nachos and trash juice. Uh, let's bring them out. Series creator, Stephen Falk. Jimmy and Gretchen, Aya Cash, and Chris Gear. The lovable, Lindsay and Edgar, Kether Donahue, and Desmond Borges. Crotchy, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, let's start at the beginning. Um, where did the idea for You're the Worst come from? Oh, gosh. I think, um, uh, well, you're the... <laughs> uh, I always was, was a big fan of romantic comedies, like going way back, like John Hughes stuff. Um, I'm just kind of uh, mushy like that. I like really dumb movies. I saw San Andreas already uh, in the theaters. Paid a lot of money. <laughs> Not very good, but I saw it. Um, but I also really, I'm just kind of a mush pot. And, um, and so I, I you know, kind of grew up watching those. And, and I liked a show called Mad About You. Um, and just thought it was, it, was, it was touching and it was really well written. And the interplay, I just like the interplay between, I just remember thinking, oh, the interplay between them is like cool. Like that's kind of like, like relationship goals. Isn't that a hashtag? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and I also then sort of really liked b British sitcoms because um, I liked that you could get away with doing a lot with the characters. You didn't ha there wasn't sort of this, this focus on this kind of, I think, false buzzword likability. Um, and so, so m sort of this idea that I've always been churning was to do kind of a cabley, Britishy, alcoholic, uh, mad about you. Um, and so that was sort of the genesis. And then and I'd come off a thing and FX was looking for... Um, a show, and I pitched it, this to them. Um, and what was that pitch meeting like? I mean, did you? How did you describe it? I mean, they, it's like it's not a will they or won't they comedy. They obviously do in the pilot. Yeah, they bone in like the first three minutes, which uh, <laughs> was important to me because I think it's 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 dangerous to go that, down that road using sort of that sexual tension as as fuel because the fuel has to run out at some point. Because when they bone, then you no longer have that as a fuel source, and then you're fucked. Um, uh, no, I mean, I went in and, and just sort of pitched it like that, pitched the characters, um, and, and, you know, kind of talked about sort of my personal, you know, relationship troubles and stuff like that uh, previously, and, um, uh, and they were just really receptive to it, but, I, but the, kind of the idea came, kind of came out whole cloth. And for the cast, I mean, what was shooting that pilot like? You had to have instant chemistry, and yes, that is the drinking word, chemistry. You have to drink oh, when, yeah. when Leslie drink. says chemistry. Desmond is drinking my beer right now. <laughs> Sharing is We caring. were actually encouraged to go out and drink together, weren't we? Well, actually, so uh, Desmond, Aya, and myself uh, live in New York, and Chris lives in Manchester. And so a week before we shot the pilot, uh, Jordan, our director, and Stephen wanted us to come out a week early to L.A. to bond, and our bonding was drinking. Drunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, At a costumed Halloween party with masks and such. So we for UNICEF, actually. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Thank you, UNICEF. We didn't get to look into each other's eyes, but we toasted quite a bit that you evening. sounds so sexy on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> This well, is everybody. what happens when you drink yeah. sugar. <laughs> I'm, I'm Desmond Borges. Uh, My name's Desmond Borges. But what was the process of we shooting the pilot like? That was the chemistry. question. Shooting the, the pilot. Stephen would pilot. like us so, to stay on right, track. So the four, of us, the four of us came in, relatively unknown actors, I suppose, um, all in a situation where we'd read this fantastic stri- uh, script, wanted to do it justice, and yet were kind of terrified, A... You know, whether, whether we could do it. I think the whole time... Do you remember before the, the read-through, all of us were worried that we were going to get fired? Me and I thought we were fired <laughs> after the table read. We all yeah. went to In-N-Out because we figured we'd win, even if we lost. <laughs> <laughs> so we all drove. We drove, like, from downtown to Hollywood to go to In-N-Out Burger because Kether and I were so convinced we were going to get fired, and if we were going to get fired, we were going to do it eating In-N-Out. Yeah, her, her agent called, and she's like, see, I'm getting the call already. She got you fired. Why did you think you were getting fired? Because everyone gets fired no, after, but after table the table read. No, no, no. The, 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 the table read was me, right? And the director. And a lot of people with clipboards. And the writers. Do you remember them? So at the back, just like, no, hello, I'm judging you. It's horrible. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't think I was getting fired. I thought I'd knock yeah. that shit out. <laughs> we're just insecure actors. Oh. It's terrifying. I mean, in this business, it's actually not uncommon. And most of you probably know, it's not uncommon for actors to be let go after the table read. And even though Steven said multiple times, like, it's not like that at FX, we were like, yeah, okay, we'll see what happens afterwards. And I barely got the job in the first place, so I was particularly worried. Because FX had originally said... Uh-oh. I'm, it's fine. Um, <laughs> FX had originally said no to me after I tested. Uh, They didn't think I was the right person for the job. And then Steven said, I do think she's the right person for the job. Give me one more shot with her. And then I retested in the Orange is the New Black Black offices in New York, just me and Steven, where I told him I was going to leave acting and open an antique store upstate, (laughs) which I thought was a a good thing to tell someone who might give me a job. (laughs) And... um, and then they eventually said yes, which actually is, it sounds like a bad story about FX, but it's actually a great story about FX because normally what a creator wants is not necessarily what a creator gets. And FX is so supportive of their creators and their writers that they really believe in their vision. And Stephen won. I thought he had no hope. I was like, yeah, I've been down this road before. It's Wouldn't nice. it been cool if like, you didn't get it, but you ended up on Orange is a New Black instead? <laughs> Can I be on Orange is the yeah, New Black? I would love, I would love yeah. to see you on that show. We all yeah. want to be on Orange is the New Black. Can I be on it? Hello. No. <laughs> Hello. I'm your new I was god. very naughty the other day. Now I'm in prison. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're, oh, I'm sorry, Lisa. Uh, we digress. <laughs> I, I have to admit, one of, one of my favorite chemistry. things Chemistry. <laughs> one of my favorite jo- things about this show is the chemistry drink. Um, but, <laughs> between Ed, <laughs> with Edgar and everyone. I mean, he's, first of all, he's pretty much the least worst person on this show. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, what kind of feedback have you gotten from the military community about Edgar? I mean, he's just so, we don't really see that character. On oh, you can't sound sexy now. You gotta get serious. Oh, no. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, it, it, it's a serious proximity away from my lips. Uh, no, it's been um, incredible what I've gotten from the military community. You know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to do this thing called arms, um, 
Arts in the Armed Forces, sorry, Shinerbach. Um, uh, with uh, Adam Driver the uh, winter before we went to Germany and we performed on three different base camps and I was able to cultivate um, a few different relationships there that I continue to speak to those gentlemen and those vets till this day and they absolutely love the show um, and it's just I don't know it's, it's amazing to get to tell a different spin on a vet's journey because we don't often get to see someone who's so heartfelt and romantic and loyal and, as I like to call, the moral compass of the group. We had a really cool guy named Sergeant Adam Renteria come in and talk to us, uh, the writers, and Desmond when we were making the character because we thought, well, we have a certain responsibility to get, you know, some of it right, at least, um, in terms of portraying a recent vet um, and their experience back home. And and there was a lot of takeaways, but the number one for me and the writers was, um, he was just like, we're just like, like... It's not all that, there's a lot of serious shit, but we just, like, we make fun of each other, and we like to have fun, and, and like, just, just show that we're, like, like normal people, and we're fallible, and, and we bust balls and shit, so that's what we try to do. Um, speaking of fallible, uh, Kether, uh, Lindsay really, in that finale, she really spiraled, spiraled out of control with her, uh, pardon my language here, but uh, the cockaholism, Yes. <laughs> which I love. Um, pardon the pun, but uh, that came, really came to a head <laughs> in the finale. Um, Literally. <laughs> and obviously got to sing that great Kate Bush song. Um, what do you enjoy most about playing Lindsay? Lindsay is a dream role for me. It's honestly my favorite character I've ever played, and this is the best job I've ever had. Um, what I love about it is that you... I, hey, stop laughing. <laughs> Serious. I'm just waiting for the punchline. There's no punchline. Um, I get to uh, play broad comedy and say ridiculously funny lines, and I also get to play a complex character who experience, who's going through a very tragic journey, and so you kind of get to, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Are you going to sing again? Yes. Say more. Now. <clears throat> No. Um, I, I don't know. I've been hounding Steven. I literally, like, ask him every day, literally. I'm like, what am I singing? What am I? And he's like, stop nagging me. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm singing, but I am singing again. My, probably my favorite episode, I think I speak for a lot of people in this room, um, Sunday Fun Day. Um, absolutely perfect. Um, where did the idea for that episode come from, and have you thought about making that an annual event? Um, the idea came from just sort of writer's room uh, spinning our wheels. We didn't do it a lot, but that episode last season we, got, uh, we really got hung up on. Um, it was going to start with, um, we, we wanted to do like a five-minute wonder um, down the street in L.A. following this really good person as he like gives a, like a sandwich to a homeless guy and like, um, like, like helps someone out outside this uh, a cafe with his chess move. And then he eventually gets on his bike, and then they hit him with their car after drinking all day. <laughs> and it was going to be an episode of them covering up their drunk driving uh, vehicular manslaughter. Not they wouldn't kill them; he would just be like injured. Um, and that t- then somehow that morphed into just like um, them out in the world. And then I think I think we started to feel at a certain point that the first the pilot and then the, the the first three episodes had sort of ended the first act, and we had an opportunity to start a sort of second act because we were doing 10 episodes, and that it would be nice to have sort of a fun episode. Just 
it was it was it was that, and it felt and and with all four involved because they really hadn't uh, spent a lot of time together as characters. And I think uh, and and when I was writing that episode, I started to feel like this was kind of cheating. Like it wasn't there was nothing heavy about it. It was there was certainly they each had they each have very specific arcs, all four of them in that. Um, but. Uh, I was just like, oh, this is 17 different locations. It's going to be impossible to shoot. And they're just, like, fucking around and drinking. And then at, at a certain point... Which I, we clearly know how to do. Yeah, and, and at a certain point, I just stopped fighting that, and I embraced it. And it was actually a big lesson for me as a writer. And it, it turned out to be uh, a lot of fun. And then we heard about Sunday Fun Day, I think. I don't know where. I don't know even what that is. Thought it was really, really stupid. And thought immediately Jimmy would fucking hate it. We started it, by the way, except no other imitations, because I've seen it quite a few times, haven't you? Sunday Fun Day. People oh, have yeah, been stealing that. Yeah. yeah, so it just, it just kind of went from there, and, 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 and the uh, second part, uh, I don't know if it'll be annual, I can't say for next year, but second season, yes, we're doing another Sunday Fun Day. And you got to get Thomas Middleditch back for that, right? Middleditch? Yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Chris, that said, what do you think Jimmy's Sunday Funday would look like? Jimmy's Sunday Funday? Wow, I don't know. <laughs> Reading on his own, masturbating <laughs> continuously. <laughs> he wouldn't go anywhere. Continuous uh, uh, NCIS LA episode, just back to back. Maybe invite someone over if he wants to. Um, A little foot action. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. God, I don't... That's quite a good that's answer. A good like, answer. You can have that. Move on. Move <laughs> on. Thank you. Uh, uh, Jimmy and Edgar's friendship is, is so great. Um, Aya, what do you think uh, Gretchen living with the guys is going to do to that? How is that going to change the house chemistry? Poor Edgar. He's such a good man. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, it's two to one at that point. So... I think we, uh, it, it sucks for Edgar, I think, Gretchen moving in. He's such a support of their relationship, um, and they're so abusive to him. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's hard for him, but he's, he's been such a, a wonderful support for the Jimmy and Gretchen relationship. But I think ultimately he's rooting for them, even if he never gets to sleep. <laughs> and you're, guys, you're introducing a couple new characters in season two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we... Uh... Gosh, uh, I would love nothing more than to share every single person and every single exciting piece of casting we have coming up, but we haven't, like, closed deals on most of them, and FX is sort of, um, you know, they want to make sure we've closed deals on them before we announce them, but uh, you broke a story today. Uh, So we have this this wonderful actress, Colette Wolfe, coming back, um, uh, with whom I did a a, a show on NBC that they got canceled after four episodes before we aired. Um... And, uh, uh, and she's coming back for a nice, uh, long arc, and um, it involves Mr. Desmond over there. So, um, And she's, she's playing someone... She, I, she was an actress I first saw on Young Adult. She had five minutes, maybe. She was Patton Oswalt's sister, and I fell in love with her there and continue to, and, and she's absolutely awesome. And what about, can we meet uh, Paul's new fling, Amy? Yeah, we meet Amy, the uh, girl from the beer uh, chat room. Um, <laughs> And she's, we've worked with her already, but I can't say who it is, apparently. We're going to open it up for questions really quick. Uh, does anybody have a question for the cast in the middle? Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Are we all doing this? <laughs> Hi. Hello. Hello. 
So the question is about casting and also how did I cast people who don't live in LA at all? Um, uh, casting is incredibly difficult. Casting broadcast pilots is almost impossible because everyone is going for the same actors at the exact same time. Uh, casting a uh, basic cable pilot is a little different because you're a little off cycle, as they call it. So, um, so certain people, you know, these guys may have been up for other pilots, but at this point they weren't. So I was able to grab them. Um, Aya has talked a little about her casting process. Chris came to me after I ca uh, auditioned every uh, guy in L.A. who kind of fit the role vaguely. He did not fit the role at all, um, but he was so goddamn skillful. From the first sentence on this tape from England, I said, okay, he's now English, because I didn't write him as English, and uh, he's now really good-looking. I wrote him as kind of a schlub. And um, all right, you got to be flexible. Um, Kether, um, I, she just came to me in an audition, and uh, I loved her immediately and thought she was amazing. Desmond was on Il said ill-fated show, um, NBC show, and I was sad. Uh, we never got to actually put any pixels on the air, and so I wanted him back immediately. Oh, and so uh, uh, in terms of them not living here, um, they, I mean, in L.A., they didn't live in L.A., and... Um, and so they moved. They kind of came to LA to shoot. Can it. I chime in on that answer? Absolutely. I just want to say I was actually I lived in LA for three years, and yeah, I got some roles here and there, but you know, it wasn't going that great. <clears throat> and I moved back to New York, <laughs> and I was unemployed and miserable. And then I booked um, an, a, a small part in an Audi car commercial, and um, you know, that was nice. Wow, we asked. <laughs> she wanted an answer, I just, this, not a biography. I have, I have a point. I have a point. The point is, the director of the Audi commercial referred me to the casting office of You're the Worst, and that's where I had the opportunity to audition uh, in the room with Steven. So, like, I'm just saying if there's any actors out there, like, it's... I think it's inspirational. Uh, so, the, the Audi commercial, commercial director directed our pilot. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I think that's inspirational. I think it's like, you know... You're not working, and then you do a little commercial, and the next thing you know, you're in an awesome TV show. It's crazy. Yeah! yeah. yeah. Uh, any other questions? Do we have another question? Um, I have a question. Um, Steven, is Lindsay's cockaholism going to continue in season two? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, cockaholism, obviously, as you all know um, from PSAs and, and all the... <laughs> Movies of the week um, is not not something you ever get over. I mean, once a cockaholic, always a cockaholic. <laughs> Say that more, please. <laughs> Sorry, chemistry. Uh, um, will it continue? Uh, I mean, uh, no. I mean, I think uh, Lindsay Lindsay has um, more important things on her mind this season. But I'm not saying, in the parlance of the show, dicks won't be taken. But. <laughs> More than just dicks will be taken. Maybe also lessons. Lessons that involve dicks. No. Yeah, dick lessons. Big lessons. There's the season two hashtag. <laughs> um, you're also moving. That's a thing now. Chemistry. Guys, Leslie's talking. Yes, Leslie. You're also moving from FX to FXX. Is there going to be any kind of change? And is there something that, anything in the show that you won't do? I mean, you get, a, you get away with a lot on FX, but is there anything that you won't do? And how will the change really change? We won't, um, we won't, uh, we won't uh, film anything in the extra little space where the other X goes <laughs> at the bottom. We're sort of framing everything away from that quadrant. 
Um, aside from that, there's no, absolutely no difference to what we do. Well, I think that's all the time that we have. Um, thank you guys for coming out. Um, season one is currently on DVD, and if you want to catch up on You're the Worst, it should be on Hulu probably August or so. And tell all your friends to watch it and your family. And thank you. If you learn nothing tonight, if you can, get an Audi commercial. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Again, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, the first season. <laughs> Premieres on Thursday, July 16th on FX. And now for our final panel of the evening, we're thrilled to have our magnificent cast with us um, who are making their way down the steps right now. Do you guys like that? It's my pleasure to introduce our cast. I want to start. He plays rehab. Please welcome Mr. John Ailes. Whoa, 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 whoa. There you go. She plays Ava. Please welcome Elaine Hendricks. He plays Bam Bam. Please welcome Bobby Kelly. She is the magnificent Gigi. Please welcome Liz Gillies. And he is the creator, writer, star, please, playing Johnny Rock. Please welcome back Dennis Leary. And we're pleased to have a wonderful moderator tonight. He is the esteemed journalist. He covers the TV business and also is a feature writer for USA Today. Please welcome Gary Levin. I'd like to apologize first. I don't know what's going on with the, with the sound mix here, but the music was really off, the live songs. Yeah, we're to, mad. We're supposed to be blowing your ears off. I don't know why they were so muted. Um, both those vocals were live. They didn't feel live at all. So I think that's a sound mix thing. In the, it might be in the speakers or it might be the Blu-ray that we brought with us. I just want to apologize for that. It won't sound like that when you watch it at home on your giant flat screens. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's start. I just wanted to fill in a, uh, one blank, as I think is evident from watching the episode that you just saw, um, you know, Gigi and, and the Jonah and the whale story that, that uh, Gigi told. Uh, uh, she comes in, she's responsible for getting the band back together. Um, John Corbett's character, Flash, uh, agrees to come back. Uh, in part because he has the hots for her. So, right. so um, that's kind of what you missed in, in, with the rest of the pilot. And so I, I just, as a way to lead into that, I thought I'd ask Dennis, what, what's it like for Johnny to have to sort of uh, depend on his daughter that he didn't know he had in order to kind of resuscitate his own career? <clears throat> well, hopefully, <laughs> if the show works, that'll be a, a, a great comedy. And 
drama dynamic is uh, having to root for your daughter to be famous so that you can make a living, but at the same time being kind of insanely jealous of the fact that she might be famous one day and you won't. Because clearly, based on what you saw, if this is going to work, she's going to be in the spotlight and he's going to be off to the side of the stage at, at the best. So I thought that was a very um, interesting father-daughter dynamic okay. to play out. And, and, and as many people in this room know, you played a, uh, a substance-abusing cop in The Job, which was a, a great but unfortunately short-lived show on ABC, and a uh, substance-abusing uh, firefighter on Rescue Me on FX for seven seasons. So, so here you are. Uh, I, I kind of wondered, where does Johnny fit on the kind of the Dennis Leary scale of dysfunctional anti-heroes? Uh, well, the one thing uh, that... Uh, you know, Tommy had going for him and uh, um, Mike McNeil had going for him. You know, they, they are at some level involved in actually helping people, like saving their lives, right? One guy's a firefighter, actually physically saves lives. The other guy's a cop who, you know, is supposed to be investigating murders and, and, and therefore helping people. This guy is only out to um, fuck and get high and help himself. So that's the first dividing line. Um, clearly, I'm not fucking Tom Hanks or... Uh, Who's, who's another, like, clean-cut guy? You know, I just don't... That's not my thing. I, I'm, it's not my thing. Well, we like you that way. Huh? We like you that way. Yeah, it's not my... Uh, I always find... I just saw the 25th anniversary cut of uh, Goodfellas, you know? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen that movie in a long time. And it's just, you know... I mean, the good guy in that is Ray Liotta, who's totally fucked up. And I... You know, that's like... It's like watching a musical to me. I, I fucking... I just... I love fucked-up people. You know, mm -hmm. and I think the beauty of this cast, these characters, is that everybody is fucked up. Even though she's clean and sober and doesn't smoke and doesn't drink and never did drugs and you know she's 21 years old and smart, uh, you know she's kind of fucked up too. She wants to be famous in the worst way. Uh, everybody in the band is has their own version of being fucked up. So I'm attracted to just fucked up people, I guess. <laughs> I know you guys probably are too. I mean, isn't that the big? I mean, in television now, when we started with Rescue Me, it was, it was the Sopranos, us, and the Shield, really, that were the fucked up guys. And now everybody's—you can't have a show unless the guy's fucked up, right? <laughs> Is there a show on TV where there's not a fucked up guy now? Yeah. Or a woman, right? Everybody's fucked up. So I started a trend. Well, Tony Soprano started a trend. Um, so you've done some composing and performing, you're in a band, but I think most of your comedy fans don't really see you as a music guy, uh, at least from your television work and your movie work, yeah. right? So what, what, um, how long have you kind of been harboring this idea of, of, of playing a, a washed up uh, or never was kind of rock star and why, why do this now? Well... Uh, the only time I sing is I have to sing the asshole song. I only do I do two charity concerts every year. I do one up in Boston for the Cam Neely Foundation at Boston Garden, which is me hosting and about you know seven or eight other comedians. All every famous comedian you know has done it at some point or another. But I have to sing the asshole song at the end or they get really fucking upset. So and then I sing it. We do a concert from Michael J. Fox. Actually, Joan Jett does it every year too. And I have to sing the asshole song at that as well. So clearly. I tell my kids all the time, that song paid for your college education and, you know, a lot of other shit. So that's my experience as, as a professional singer since, you know, I did a musical in college. But I'm surrounded by these friends of mine who became professional rock musicians, guys I went to college with. Um, 
And a lot of them were in very famous bands. A lot of the bands they were in broke up, but they've made a living as famous you know, rock guys. And I just thought that was the most famous guys I know from Boston, the Cars and Aerosmith. Both those bands were afflicted by the same problem that afflicted the Rolling Stones and Oasis and everybody else. It's the lead singer versus the fucking uh, guitar player. It doesn't matter if they're brothers or not. They fucking hate each other, but they love each other. The rest of the band's like the, the kids. They can't exist without the parents. The parents are the lead singer. Like, you're not going to see the Stones without Mick and Keith. Imagine that announcement. It's never going to happen, right? So I just thought, what if somebody wasn't famous and still had that fucked up relationship? That would be really fun uh, to investigate and, and play around with, you know? Um, they just happened to have not made it, so... Did you model him after anybody, any real rock star or anything? I mean, you have me rock doing that kind of David Bowie, uh, Ziggy Stardust thing with the hair. Yeah, clearly Johnny, as did I. I love fucking Bowie. So I put my love of Bowie. uh, Johnny sees himself, I think he says it in one of the episodes, he's like, I'm what happens when Joe Strummer meets David Bowie, which is so fucking untrue, except for the haircut, you know what I mean? He's got Bowie's haircut from like 77, and that's about it. Um, he doesn't have any of the talent. So um, I know some guys in, in uh, New York uh, who are professional musicians and have been. They've made a living their whole lives. You wouldn't know who they are. And uh, a lot of the guys, when they get to a certain age, I think it's around 42, they pick a look, right? And that's the fucking look, right? Now, when I started to think about that, I, I ran into this buddy of mine in the street, and I was like, this guy's had the same look for like the last five fucking years. And... I said something to him, and he said, my daughter told me to pick a look and that it couldn't involve skinny jeans. <laughs> so he was like in black jeans, black leather jacket, black T-shirt every time I saw him. And then I realized Bruce Springsteen has had the same look now for about 20 years, 25 years, right? At least. Mick Jagger, same look. Steven Tyler, they picked a look. Johnny just happened to pick a really kind of fucked up look, <laughs> and he got stuck with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, much to the chagrin of our wardrobe department. So he starts out sort of unintentionally hitting on his daughter, uh, his own daughter, as you saw. And as you saw from this last episode, she clearly eclipses him professionally. Um, Liz, just can you talk a little bit about what it's like playing that and what the casting process was like? Because you had to uh, not only be able to, to do a really good job singing, as you do, but um, kind of work against this guy. Yeah, well, I got sent the, uh, the script, and I kind of tripped out when I read it because I... I I saw so. I just really related to it, and I really wanted it. And I never really, like, I really wanted it. Like, I would have done something weird if I didn't get it. And um, <laughs> and I, so I just, I went in, and I, I think I attested with you. And I remember you just had. I went through. I sang an Aretha song. I think, yeah, I sang an Aretha song, and I worked on it for like a minute. And then I came in, and you had me do it a bunch of different ways. All the scenes from the pilot. Let me just, let me just interrupt here. The guy Adam Roth, who's the, who's our who's our te- one of our tech advisors on the show, is a professional. Uh, guitar players played with the Jim Carroll band, uh, Del Fuego's, Bob Dylan. I mean, he's a fucking amazing guitar player. When we had Liz come in, we said, listen, we're going to give you, we, we met her, we said, we're going to give you 45 minutes to rehearse with... Was it 45? Yeah, because we wanted to... Admit, you'd be, I think I might have only heard five. I think well, that's what the problem So we went in this other room so that she could rehearse with him. And he was, he literally, two and a half minutes later, he came into the room we were in and he said, this chick's fucking ridiculous, dude. She's really got it. I can't help her. And we were like, fuck. And then she came in and sang, which song did you sing, Aretha Franklin's song? Uh, I ain't never, ha- the, I was about to sing it because I don't know, I ain't never met a man the way, I never loved a man the way I loved you. Okay. It, was on your, it was on your approved song list, so we I gave, chose it. We gave, a, <laughs> we gave a song list out, 
like, just to have choices, and there were, some of them were really easy. The fucking Aretha Franklin song was the hardest song. She comes in, sings it fucking perfect. About, I actually messed up the lyrics. It's yeah, what actually happened. Just, <laughs> four notes into the song, we were all like, holy fucking shit. Then we just had to see if she could do comedy and improvise. So we did something scripted. Uh, you know, we screen tested with something scripted, and then I just kind of improvised with her, and she shot it right back at me. And I'm, then at that point, we're just hoping that somebody doesn't grab her before we call her agents and say, we No one was girl. coming to grab me. Thank was, God. I was wide open. Thank God. <laughs> was it a, a difficult casting process? Did you look at a lot of people? or? Uh, no, because... Uh, Did you look at like three people? I beat three, like three people. Yeah, three, it was three oh, people. was it three? It was three girls because she had to be able to sing live because I wanted to be able to do live vocals, especially in the concert sequences. You had to be able to do comedy and drama and improvise. Yeah, not too fucking hard. Um, and there were two... I can't even remember the I two... I know who other, they are, but I'm not going to say that. Okay, names. I can't remember their names now. <laughs> I blacked them out. But my producing partner, Jim Serpico, you know Jim. He worked on Rescue Me and the job. He has three teenage boys. I think they're 9, 11, and 13. And he came in and said, my boy said, we have to get this chick from Nickelodeon who they're totally in love with. And I was like, we're going to fucking cast like some fucking chick. From and then I saw the videotape of her singing and acting on the show. And I was like, well, we got to bring her in. Your boys are right. So actually, you should pay a percentage to Serpico's three boys. What do you want me to do? <laughs> If the show's a hit, we'll work it out if the show's a hit. All right. <laughs> that show is victorious, by the way, in case anybody wants yeah, to. Yeah, um, Screams uh, are boring. <laughs> how many kids in here watch Victorious? Um, everybody. Four. All four. It's Maybe it's a different Bobby, demo. And Bobby Kelly. I watch it now. <laughs> so talk about um, songwriting in the show, the original music. Some songs are meant to be bad. I know a Rehab has a three-hour uh, song cycle about the Irish potato famine. Nothing bad about it. Uh, Listen, you know, Gary, I have to say that that was written by my songwriting partner, Chris Phillips. He really took over the... Rehab has a project in, in the second episode that he, you know, like a lot of guys in bands, he has a 29-song uh, song cycle. It's not a rock opera. That's, he's clear about that. And it's based on the Irish potato famine... And the reason that he didn't do the Holocaust, even though he's Jewish, is because he feels like that has a History Channel vibe to it now. So we had to write six of the songs that are in this 29-song uh, cycle. And my writing partner, Chris Phillips, said, like, like he was waiting for it. He's like, I've got six songs about the Irish potato famine. <laughs> and, and you hear, like, three of them in the course of the series. And they're really fucking involved. I mean, they're, it's crazy orchestration and, and instrumentation and arrangements. And... Um, if we go to season two, we're going to have to have like six more of those songs at least. Absolutely. Another, there's another episode uh, where Johnny has to, is forced to give up booze and, uh, booze and uh, drugs, and he writes a song that, that, that Gigi says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, sounds like Sting wrote it in Sarah McLaughlin's vagina. Um, <laughs> but um, I, mean, I guess I'm asking, how important is music to a comedy show about musicians? Like, how, how important is it to get... Um, to get those songs right and how difficult, what, what was the process that you and, and, and your partner in terms of writing? Well, uh, that's, the, like I said, I wanted to record a lot of the vocals wanted to be alive so that it felt live. That's why I was so pissed about the sound mix tonight. But um, the songwriting process, it's different. In other words, instead of just sitting down and writing 10 episodes uh, and having cast the actors knowing what they're like and or getting to know them, and, except like in Bobby's case, I knew Bobby, I wrote the part for him. Um, 
you have to actually, I had to get to know Liz and her vocal abilities. And then we had to write, I had written Sex and Drugs, it was the first thing I wrote, the theme song, before I wrote the pilot. And I'd given that to Greg Dooley, who produced that track, uh, and the Afghan wigs. Because so, I wanted to, those guys were around in that era, and I wanted to have that feel from back then. So I already, that song was taken care of. And then <clears throat> we have to sit down and write songs specifically for Liz's character and for the character arc that we see coming, which is really fucking difficult. That's, a, that's actually the most difficult part of the process, was writing songs uh, with Chris Phillips and myself, mostly, um, you know, that were based on where she was going to go, and writing some old songs for the heathens, that was easier, because I lived, you know, back in the 90s. I remember a lot of those bands. So writing for her was difficult. Then we had to go in the studio in uh, New York with the band. We had the wigs for some of the sessions, and then we had my band, which is real, uh, real guys, we spent, you know, a good three weeks, like just getting her getting to know the band, playing with the tracks, uh, and then finally get everything recorded, and then go to the set. And when we shoot the concert stuff, or the scene, like, um, you know, the scenes in the rehearsal space where we're playing live, we have to get that vocal live. She's great at it. She gets like her first, second take. For me, I'm fucking flat. The first one, I, you know, I'm a screamer. I'm not like gifted. So. Some of the stuff you'll see me sing live in the course of this show may not fucking be exactly, you know, the right note, but, you know, you'll get the, a feeling. Get there eventually. Yeah, but she's great. Um, I just think it's an important thing that the band, that the music be good, that she sound great, and that there be other moments in rock and roll like there really is in real life where, you know, there's some pretentious bullshit. Some of rock and roll, I mean, I'm a huge rock and roll fan, but there's some pretty pretentious bullshit out there. So, you know, and I love Radiohead, but I wanted to go after Radiohead. I love Morrissey. I wanted to go after Morrissey a little bit. Because I love those guys, but they get pretentious. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my fucking dream is if we got picked up, I'd have Radiohead and Morrissey on the fucking show. Of course, they'd have to hate me and right. love these guys. Right. That's the best way. That's right. But I'd love Tom York to punch Johnny in the face. It's so awesome, you know? Well, what was their reaction? You do make, you make fun of a, a lot of people. I mean, you had uh, Dave Grohl and, and Joan Jett on the show, but you made fun of um, Katy Perry, Radiohead, Pat Benatar, or at least her husband. Um, do, do you fear, like, backlash from legions of Katy Perry fans? Is it meant to, is it meant to kind of establish his street cred as an authentic rock and roll guy? What, what's... Well, in, in Johnny's mind, Johnny, this is the kind of guy Johnny is. Johnny would say, like, what he says to her at one point, I don't want to fucking write any, you know, Katy Perry pop rock bullshit. But if Katy Perry walked in the room, he'd be the first guy to go, I fucking love you. Can I get you a Coke? Would you like any? I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. Um, but I don't think we could avoid... One of the highlights of my career was years ago, I made fun of Sting. I forget exactly what I said about him. And then he was interviewed in Rolling Stone, and he called me a cunt. I'm Irish. My parents use the word cunt like it's, you know... A cunting weather, the cunting car. So my mother called me up and said, Sting called you a cunt in Rolling Stone. My mother's Irish. And I, she was so proud of it. She was like, Sting knows who you are. And I was like, that's kind of like, I'm proud that he called me a cunt. So I, I'd love to have him call me a cunt on the show. Okay. That's my goal. It's, the, it's your way to lure them in as guest stars. Yeah. Okay. How would you like to call me cunt live on TV, Sting? <laughs> this, is, this is the phone call I dream of having with not him. Sure about, I'm not sure about FX standards I, and practices, though. Yeah. We'll see about that. I think some people, you know, people like Johnny, you get on your high horse about... What, in show business, it's the same thing. I know uh, guys I grew up with, a couple of guys that became famous athletes, uh, where I grew up in order to make it. Really, sports was the only way out of the neighborhood, so I knew guys that became Major League Baseball players and a couple of guys that became professional hockey players in the National Hockey League. But in their wake 
were a, a slew of guys that said, that should have been me, could have been me, would have been me. Whenever you look at somebody famous, I remember being with John Cleese once, who's like one of my heroes, and he said the most interesting thing about fame, he said, it's really hard to hang around with your friends that you were coming up with in the acting business he was talking about, because if you make it and they don't, when you hang around with them, all they see in your success is their own failure. And rather than look in the mirror and say, maybe it was me, they point the finger at you. So that bitterness and that, that uh, anger, I've seen a lot of it in rock and roll because I know a lot of guys that didn't make it. I've seen a lot of it in acting. I've seen a ton of it in comedy. And that is way more interesting to me than a guy that is just, well, I didn't make it and you know, I didn't deserve to. Uh, there's no fun in that, you know? There's something really fun in the course of this show. I keep, my character's always talking about Dave Grohl and Greg Dooley stole his vibe. But the truth is, if Dave Grohl, you know, walked in the room, he'd be all over Dave Grohl just because, you know, he knows that that's part of the fame ladder, you right, know? Right, So. Okay. Um, uh, uh, John and, and Bobby, which, do you guys play instruments? Are you, are you, how, how professional are you at, at that? Are you, are you vamping? Are you... I, I've never played an instrument in my life. And, and then I got a call from Jim Serpico, and he said that, you know, they're conce- they didn't even tell me I got the part. I didn't know he wrote it for me. I thought I had to earn it. So I fucking started playing pillows. <laughs> and I just started taking drum lessons, and I had to learn how to play the drums. It was the fucking hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And then I went in, and then he didn't even, like, you didn't even know I didn't know how to play the drums, right? No, I knew you didn't know how to play the You just assumed I was going to fucking learn? That's, that's a crazy assumption. I mean, isn't it? I mean, hey, that's like, yeah, I'm going to be a jet pilot. Yeah, hire Bobby. He'll learn. It's fucking nuts. I, I mean... Really nuts, and I did it, which is even he fucking did. crazier. Listen, I'm telling you something. At the end of the season, there's a song called Complicated that Liz sings that we do, you know, uh, again, she's live vocal. I didn't need him to play the drums live. He fucking played the drums for the entire take. I mean, he could really play the drums at the end. So, see, I see? fucking, I helped you. How did it come back to you? <laughs> you see how he is? You see how he is? This is real shit. This... I tried to make you a better person. Would you not agree that I made him a better person? Because now he has a skill. If this show gets canceled and he, his comedy career goes down the tubes, he can become a fucking drummer. <laughs> ah, son of a bitch. You turned on me. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> he didn't play either. He had to learn to play Are the bass. Are you kidding? An opportunity comes along like this where a series about a bass player... Uh, comes along. <laughs> you tell the guys you know how to play the bass. Scared the shit out of me. He, he hired me. I, never, I didn't go out to New York to meet them. I was in L.A. and they were casting it in New York. I played guitar for six years as a kid. When I started to learn theory, it blew my brains out because I didn't understand math that well, so I quit. But I told them I knew how to play the bass, and I kind of, in my... In my uh, excitement told him I played it okay and then Dennis wrote, wrote to me when I finally got cast he's like motherfucker I can't wait till you come out here what kind of bass do you play I have my tech choosing it for you now and I'm like there are kinds of basses <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen me and him 
Everybody, after their takes or whatever, you know, they'll go to the dressing room and take a nap. Me and him were just in a room <laughs> rehearsing. Fuck it. I didn't nap. You were loud as shit. Just learning, trying to learn the song so we didn't fuck it up. <laughs> so there's a bit of a learning curve there. Yes. Yeah, okay. We're still studying. We both yeah. are taking lessons. Yeah, we're still, still. taking lessons. Well, we can play I can now. Play. I can, can play. play. I played live. I AC played DC. live. Fucking, uh... Yeah, I, got, I, I played, played with ACDC. Sings live. I played she live. Sings live. With ACDC? Well, no, not with ACDC. Oh, I didn't know what you're saying. Oh. I was like, wow. To ACDC. To ACDC. Right. Highway to Hell, which is and, the fucking... And by the way, Elaine, who's actually a terrific singer, played tambourine and ukulele on the show as well. For real. Good. Because that's so impressive. <laughs> I fucking think the ukulele is one. I can't get my fingers to do anything on a ukulele. You know? And you forgot uh, while roller skating. Well, yeah, she does yes. the scene. No, it's true. Uh, it, she roller skates in a, a bathing suit, does a dance routine while playing the ukulele. Uh, baby, please don't go. Who wrote that? I did. <laughs> Such a creep. One day I was like, I wonder what Elaine looks like in a bathing suit. <laughs> that's like God power. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, I, try, I had to think of something. Well, it makes sense in that episode for her character, what she's doing. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so rehab is sort of inappropriately named because he's a total enabler. And, uh, to, uh, to, and, but he seems to also have a chip on his shoulder like uh, some bass players do, I guess, because he feels ignored or underappreciated. And Bam Bam criticizes Johnny's kind of addictive behavior, but then he has his own addiction to tater tots and, 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 and Ava is very protective of Johnny but she also is, has her own jealousies I, I didn't mean to kind of uh, feed you lines but, but if you each just talk briefly about kind of your characters and how where they go in the course of the season we'll start with John oh yeah I mean starts right off where our tw- what I really love about this group of relationships is that it feels to me, like we get to layer in 25 years of resentment and knowing each other, and bass players want the highlights. You know, they don't get them that often. There's no spotlight for the bass players, so that drives my guy. And you'll see as it as the series progresses that the the rhythm section gets a little bit itchy in the band. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and drummers kind of get delusions of grandeur. And uh, look, the light feels good on my face. <laughs> and I give up some drugs to make yes. things happen well. Yes. Still do pot and a few pills here and there. <laughs> Thank you very Thank you. much. Well, that was really good. Thank you. That was like real good. Thank you. What well, about you? A little too good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Okay, so uh, Ava. Just the court. I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what the question was, but um, Ava, where's it go? Well, my. I don't know. Ava is. Uh, Ava and Johnny have been together for like 25 years. We've done everything a couple possibly can together. We've had three ways, four ways, you know, orgies, so swung, drugs, all of this, and yet, at the core of our relationship, we really love each other, and Ava. Uh, Ava does everything she possibly can to protect Johnny from Johnny. Uh, but when it's all said and done, if he's going off the cliff, she's going off the cliff with him because she is just devoted to him. And um, 
and and her loyalty her loyalty doesn't doesn't waver it really doesn't she'll she'll kind of bend here and there to sort of see the bigger picture but really especially for Johnny she's kind of you know I don't know, maybe puppeteering a little behind the scenes, making sure he doesn't go too off the rails. Okay. So that's what I would say. Oh, that was well said, too. Shit. <laughs> Bobby's uh, turn. Uh, <laughs> um, well, What's your uh, character do, Bobby? I think, ba- I mean, it's weird for Bam Bam for me. Be- I mean, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's kind of my life. I mean, I used to do drugs and drink. And now I, you know, basically, you know, snort tater tots. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> food is my drug now. And they have that, you know, pretty much in the show where I'm, you know, eating something or whatever. But it's weird because me and Johnny start out as, like, I've been with Johnny for years. And then something happens where me and Rehab kind of become this Laurel and Hardy type of thing. And we start fucking doing weird shit. And it was real. I mean, it was really fun. It's really like a family, though. And even when when we're done, it's kind of he cast I he casted like the right people for these fucking parts. I mean, it's it's weird because even when we're done, it's almost like we're filming sometimes when we're just eating lunch because we're still fucking off. Me and him are still yelling and arguing and then loving each other, you know, in two seconds. And he'll come down and tell me to shut the fuck up. And did you learn your fucking lines? And, you know, I'll yell back and he'll give me a look and I'll get scared. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Liz is just smoking hot. You know, did I just say that? (laughs) I mean, that has nothing to do with anything. That's my, that's my personality. Uh, I'm sorry. Elaine and I are just there. It's so weird. It's so weird too. We're just the tits. We're just the tits. No, you guys. There is a scene between these two girls. I'm, I can't give it away. It was one of the funniest things I've ever. I remember watching it, and I was me and my wife. I'm sorry, I'm married. I know. Um, I just bummed out a bunch of chicks uh, and a couple of dudes. Uh, <laughs> I see you. <laughs> I don't know why I had to become Southern for that. <laughs> Just because you pour Sam on it, don't make it a pancake. All I'm saying. But we... <laughs> it's so... It was so funny to see these... I mean, the scene is, like, ridiculously edgy and fucked up. And to see these two sexy, beautiful girls having this ridiculously funny scene so inappropriate inappropriate. and just to see him he walks away from it and I know it was real like it just made you it made me uncomfortable but that's what made it so funny so everybody is kind of like edgy and fucked up and trying to deal with their own issues it's just a family it really is it's like a family I love him and then I hate him and I go to him and I tell him he's an asshole and then I hate him and I tell her and we all kind of did that on the set too. We talked behind each other's backs. Yeah. <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> All right, we're having too much fun up here, so I want to leave time for the audience people to ask any questions that they have. Anybody have any questions for Dennis and the rest of the cast over there? No, you'll never hear these fucking songs except on TV. <laughs> no, they're going to be released. There's a vinyl album that will be released. I- I think it's like three weeks after the show starts, which is a collector's item. But the songs will be on iTunes weekly, as the, episodically, as they come out. Then you can buy the whole album and download it as the season goes along. 
So, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're going to kick fucking Empire's ass. <laughs> It's uh well. It's the same type you, of music. Do you guys like that show? Because I like that show. I think I think uh, Cookie is just one of the greatest characters. She is. Oh my God, what a performance! So those guys, their numbers are huge. So we're just going to look to be the, the, uh, you know, the flip side to Empire. You know, we haven't delved into hip hop in season one. We may do that in season two. How? I'll tell you why. I'm gonna <laughs> None tell, of us can no, do I'll that. I'll fucking tell you one right thing right now. You guys know about <laughs> Hamilton? Okay, one of the big musical right yeah, now. Yeah, okay, that's going to go to Broadway. It's off Broadway. You guys seen it? Anybody seen oh, it? Oh, it's a really exclusive It's one. a hip-hop musical about Alexander fucking Hamilton. <laughs> now, okay? I'm giving you a gift. Go home, get a, or on your phones, Google it, and you'll get like three or four of the videos they sent out. It's, I haven't seen the show. I'm just going to say it's really fucking interesting, and it's going to be a huge hit. It's going to win a bunch of Tonys next year. If we get picked up, it sounds like a rehab idea to me. That's right, yeah. baby. Rhythm section. Take hip-hop. the Irish potato famine and tell it through hip-hop. Mm. Right? I like that. Yeah, hip-hop. With a, with it's going to be hip-hop. Lo- with a guy who looks like Frank Zappa? <laughs> I forgot what the question was. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Just that one question. All right, good night, folks. Thank you so much. <laughs> one fucking question? Okay. Oh, here we go. Over there in the red shirt. Oh, oh, God. Corbett. A lot, of, a lot of my perform, my live singing performances, I would think, I would get through a take and I'd be like, that was fucking in my head. I'm like, that was so fucking awesome. And Serpico, usually Serpico, sometimes Corbett, or one of the music techs would go like, dude, you're totally fucking flat the whole fucking way through. The fuck is with your pitch? Do it again. I'm like, shit. Because I really, I'm just not disciplined enough. Um, so that always went fucking wrong. Other than that, I gotta tell you, it's very important to me. I think one of the things I like most about actors, being one myself, is that I think if you get the right group, and if you, if you really make sure that they can improvise, comedically and dramatically, right? If you make sure they have the tools, like if you need five tools, make sure they have you know, a five tool toolbox, and you get them in front of the cameras, I don't understand why you wouldn't throw away stuff that was on the page if the actors can make it better. And the other thing is that makes TV and film so much like theater. Every great director I've ever worked with puts up two or three cameras at a time so that everybody that's in the scene, if it's Liz and I having a discussion, comedic or dramatic, both cameras are up, we're both on camera, the entire scene, I got a third camera going, getting a two shot, it's live. So if we're gonna fucking improvise, it's in the editing room, that shit is just fantastic. So I try to do a lot of that. that you know, a lot of times I would go to work in the morning or I'd tell these guys the night before too, I would say, this fucking scene I wrote in episode blah, blah, it really sucks. But here's the basic idea, what I want. Tomorrow when we come in, let's keep that line, throw this shit out, and then we'll play around with this section. And we might shoot, you know, like way longer. I overshoot everything. So the editing process takes longer, but it's great, especially with these actors. I get so much improv out of them. Uh, when I get in the editing room, I have so many fucking choices, it's great. You know, so I think a lot of the stuff that goes wrong is my my original writing doesn't hit or as good as we could get, but I get these guys to help me out with it. You know, so I think that's a mistake a lot of great directors make is like they fucking want the actors to hit that mark, say the line. You know, I love David Mamet, but you you know I did a, a Mamet movie called uh, Lake Boat, which is one of his first plays. Um, I never saw the movie, but 
my first fucking day, man, I went into my first scene and I took a pause. They called cut. They came over and said, you took a pause. And I said, yeah, my character's just taking a pause. And he's like, there's no hyphen. There's no comma. Stop. You know, Mamet wants... And, like, I, I totally get it. That's his call. But I like to let everybody... Let the, hire the horses, let them run, you know? Um, these guys are fucking great, I gotta tell you. Do you just call me a horse? <laughs> you know, every fucking thing <laughs> is like a personal thing with you. This I is, why I, this is I, why I hired you, because this is our relationship in real life. Yeah. I've known him for a long time, and this is why I knew I wanted to have... Bam Bam is supposed to be my best friend, but he's always fucking arguing with me, which is why we're not really best friends, but we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> And it's like me and Bobby in real life. Any fucking thing that I... I, I like the horse. No, you, no, you didn't. I can tell by the way you said it. Dude, fucking horses. Dude, I got a room full of fucking witnesses. <laughs> they don't like you because you're more famous. Right? Well, <laughs> if that's how I win. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more question. Who's got one? Uh, in the blue... Yeah, I mean, that's actually where I, that's where I spent, that's where I'm from. I spent most of my, my formative music years at the Rat, this old punk rock club down in Kenmore Square. But the truth is, uh, New York is easier for me to shoot, uh, you know, in terms of the actors and, uh, and my crew. Because if I go to Boston, I have so many people in my crew that, I, that are really important to me. Not just my DP and a lot of the fucking the technical guys. I'd have to bring them all up there. But the other truth is, and I, they know this because I've said it a million times. I shot a couple of movies in Boston. And my family is fucking huge. And so are my friends and my cousins and my fourth cousin and this fucking guy. And so when I shoot in Boston, they're like, why can't I be in the Irish step dancing fucking scene? What, why does he get to say a fucking line? I heard he was in the scene with blah, blah, blah. Why did he get to talk to Liz? So I can't, it's a fucking nightmare, you know? I did a movie called Monument Ave. There's this big Irish step dancing scene in it, and it was like 300 of my fucking family and friends. And in the hallway between takes, Ted Demi, the director, was like, I got two of your cousins fighting in the hallway. One said the other one walked in front of his close-up when they walked by the camera. They're fucking extras. You know, I go out in the hallway because they're in action. I got to walk in. They'd be like, why is he fucking going by the thing? I'm like, I don't fucking know. I'm in character. <laughs> so every time I go to Boston, it's a fucking nightmare. And if I went there for music, all my music friends would be like, dude, why is fucking Bobby Kelly, a fucking comedian, fucking playing a bass player? I'm a drummer. What about me? I'd be like, dude, you fucking can't act. I can fucking act. <laughs> well, I can't fucking act like a drummer. I'm a fucking drummer. You know, it's that whole mentality. I even had a fucking guy in New York who I know. He's a great guy. I saw him on the street while we were shooting. He's a terrific guitar player. He's a fucking horrible actor. He was in something years ago. But he said to me, like, dude, uh, who's playing the fucking guitar player? I was like, John Corbett. Like, who the fuck wouldn't hire... John Corbett's a giant fucking plus to have in your show, right? He was like... Like, what? Like, you should be John Corbett? By the way, one of the ugliest fucking guys on the Lower East Side of New York, this fucking guy. Yeah, okay, I'll hire you. People are going to tune into FX to see that fucking mug. So that's why I, I try not to shoot in Boston. You know? All right. On, on that, you've been a great audience. On that note, I'd like to thank the panel. Uh, thank great you guys panel. for coming. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Have a good night, everybody.
Now leaving Nerdist.com.